Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right. And Matthias is sitting there like that little guy on the screen, shaking and like, <laughs> he's ready to go. But Matthias, can I preach first? Is that okay with you? I can't even see if you're shaking your head or nodding. So, um, all right, let's get on with it. I uh, push the limits, but before I do, um, we want to just take a moment and acknowledge. Uh, I would presume many of you have heard now. Uh, Brian Volkers passed away on Friday, um, and uh, Brian has been ill for a long time. In fact, really as long as Brian has come to our church, uh, he's been struggling with issues in his lungs and uh, different times and places in his body and. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with Brian on Wednesday, spent 45 minutes with him on Wednesday morning after men's prayer, where the guys all prayed for him like we do every Wednesday, and had an amazing, wonderful time with Brian. And uh, honestly, I thought that I would be visiting Brian again many times uh, in hospice, and maybe even at home possibly, because he was, he was so, uh, so alert, ready, and looking to have conversation. Uh, they let Tora know uh, Saturday afternoon that Brian didn't have long, and so uh, Tora, sorry, yeah, Friday, sorry, and uh, Tora got to go with Jerry, and they got to be with Brian in his last moments as he went to be with Jesus, and um, I, I called Tora. She called me. I called her back as quickly as we could and, and had, a, had a talk, and I want you to know that, you know, when someone we love dies, but Jesus is in the mix, yeah, there's some tears but there was at least that much laughter with it and joy because we know that Brian has graduated uh, to, a, to a new place, to a new body, where the struggles of his physical reality are not an issue for him anymore. And uh, I just, I couldn't help but imagine in my heart and mind what it would be like for him to walk away from this earth. And his, his feet, the, the last thing I, I remember leaving his room, even I touched him as I went out because his feet were so swollen just from, some, from the different stresses his body was under. And so, of course, Brian is, uh, is enjoying the presence of Jesus, but now Torah is here. And it's going to be a time of adjustment for Torah. So first of all, would you, would you always remember, let's keep Torah in our prayers and check in with her and love on her. And she's here this morning, so before you go, uh, make, make sure you take a moment with Torah. And, uh, and uh, let's just pray. I feel as a church family, it's a good thing to pray as we consider what's happened. Father, we thank you for Brian's life. We thank you for Torah. God, we thank you for their, their, their membership in our church and the great support and love that they are. And Father, in this time of loss and mourning for Torah and her children and grandchildren and, and all the family around, for Jerry as well, Lord, we, God, we, just, we lift our pain and our sorrow to you. And Lord, we receive your joy and your peace that you give us in exchange for it. Father, we, we're so glad that uh, we know Brian had the chance to know you and Father, now that he's in your presence, Lord, we, we are going to continue to do what we do here, just a little bit jealous of his opportunity. But Lord, I pray that those areas of his life where he impacted people, Father, I pray that the seed that was scattered there, I pray that it would grow and bear fruit. God, we pray for Torah that as she enters this new season of her life, uh, God, that opportunity and ministry would be clear for her and the things you're calling her would be simple for her to walk into. We ask for all this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, there will be details about uh, what goes on with uh, arrangements, of course, in the days to come. But we did want to make sure that you all knew, just in case you hadn't heard through 
the various social connections in church. All right, well, this is the no-brainer message in the series. Uh, water baptism is the one that almost nobody argues about uh, because we see it so often in the New Testament. Um, and little explanation is needed for water baptism, yet I find that there are a lot of people who, when it comes to water baptism, say things like, oh, I don't, know, I don't think I need that. Like, it doesn't make me a Christian, right? And I don't really think I, I, I don't know, maybe you were baptized as a child, maybe, maybe you were, whatever your deal is, whatever your situation is, it's, it's strange to me because the three baptisms that we see in Scripture are, are vitally important to the completion of the follower of Jesus. Vitally important. And we're going to talk through some of that today. My hope today is that you will understand um, that the three baptisms, as we're talking about them, are actually necessary for the total development of a Christ follower. Now, when I say necessary, people get all out of joint sometimes because, you know, they're, they're wondering to what end I mean necessary. And so I want to be clear. Not necessary in, in terms of soteriology or salvation, but necessary uh, for the completion, the development of you as a member of the body of Christ. All right? And by the end of today, I think you'll have a better grasp on that. Uh, but so many churches stop short of teaching or even understanding what Scripture says. When, when Jesus uh, talks about permit it, and later you're going to understand, it's, he had to do it that way because we don't understand everything Jesus was saying until we can look backwards at it through the lens of the cross. Because in the completed work of Jesus at the cross, all Scripture begins to be fulfilled and everything starts to fall into its place. And all the prophetic words that were spoken begin to take their place and it's like, oh, now it makes sense. And so that's true of this, this idea or this biblical doctrine of baptism. And as we've said before, there are three. Um, so uh, the requirement of salvation is the blood of Jesus. That would be the first baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. The second baptism, as we've talked about, is the baptism in water, which is where you're baptized into the body of Christ. And it's very symbolic, yes, but of more than simply being baptized into the body of Christ. And then the last baptism that we're going to talk about next Sunday, very important, is that Jesus wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Okay? All biblically supported. To me, it's, it's, you can't even argue against it because of how clear Jesus is for what he wants for you and I. Um, so here's the problem, though. Because we get uncomfortable with certain parts of what the Bible says, we begin to create doctrines that limit our discomfort. And that happens when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and it's what happens when it comes to really, truly, you know, not trying to be spiritual, but just trying to be Christ-like. It's what happens when we, when, when we wonder about what the Lordship of Jesus really looks like or means in our lives. Guys, these are requirements. And again, not that are going to get you saved or unsaved, but if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to follow Jesus. My favorite meme came up about a year ago, and I should have had it, post for, had it to post for today. Jesus is sitting there with a modern young man, and Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And the guy's response is, like what, on Facebook, on Twitter? Jesus responds to the young modern man, okay, I'm going to start from the beginning. You let me know where I lose you. This is the reality. To be a follower of Christ is to be baptized in everything he has for us. All right? So... Um, we, we get to this place where, well, I've been water baptized, so that's good enough. I'm saved, I'm water baptized, I'm going to stop. Some people get to the place where I'm saved, and I'm, I'm baptized in, in and with the Holy Spirit, and therefore it's good enough. I don't need water baptism anymore. That's also wrong. 
And there are, believe it or not, people who are water baptized and think that they're spirit baptized, but actually haven't yielded their life to Jesus. And that doesn't work either, just for the record. So what is this picture we're trying to paint? Well, we're trying to paint the whole biblical picture looking back after the cross. So the first question I have, or you probably should have this morning uh, for our part of the series is, so why should I be water baptized? That's a fair question. If you're here this morning and you haven't, I totally accept that question from you. Why should I be water baptized? Well, the first scripture that comes to mind uh, for water baptism is actually the command of the Great Commission in the book of Matthew chapter 28. And this is what it says, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Someone say all the nations. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. All authority belongs to Jesus. I'm going to do the like Cliff's Notes version and help us, help us get through this chunk. All authority belongs to Jesus. That's what he's saying. If there was any doubt about where authority belongs, Jesus removes it in Matthew 28 by saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's, it's all his. And, and then this is important for you to understand. Go therefore. Right? Go therefore. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, or you could say, therefore go, or if I can really help you understand it, hey guys, all authority has been given to me, so what I want you to do is. I mean, I could say it a few different ways if it will help you, but surely by now you're starting to understand. Go therefore is not a complicated uh, comment from Jesus, but rather a clear instruction. I have all authority, and I am telling you what to do. And we should say, Okay. Yes, Lord. Uh, it, it's really that simple, and it, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I have the authority to tell you this, so I am telling you this. Go and make disciples. First thing. First thing was to go and make disciples. Yeah. Not to go and start a business, not to do this, not to go buy a different vehicle, but go and make disciples disciples. What's a disciple? Someone who has a relationship with Jesus who is following him. That's a disciple of Jesus. And then it's important for us to remember that it's go and make disciples, not just of the Jews, but of all people, of all the languages, of all the nations, of all the cultures, of all the representations of humanity in the earth. You see, the, the, the apostles who were Jewish had been raised in a tradition where salvation was supposed to come through the Jews. And it certainly did because Jesus came through the house of David, the line of David. Jesus was a Jew. And, and so, yes, salvation comes to the earth through the Jewish people, through the, the nation that God has this special relationship with. But the gospel was not only for them. It's actually for everybody. And if you're breathing, no matter how pagan you were five generations ago, no matter how Viking your family line was, no matter how French you might be, just kidding, I'm not really saying that, but I did say that. <laughs> I, I, enjoy, I enjoy French people, don't worry. Uh, but it doesn't matter where we've come from, you are all people. 
And so you are to be made disciples of Jesus. Because you and I are all people. Every, every people, language, race, culture, tribe, tongue. And then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to notice right away, what are there? To baptize them in the name of who? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three different names, one God, but nonetheless three. Have you ever considered why when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Don't even get me started on our Jesus-only friends who have a doctrinal tangent where they baptize only in the name of Jesus. I don't know what they do with this particular scripture. But um, that's what we're called to do. But why three? Why isn't it good enough to baptize them just in the name of Jesus? Why isn't it good enough to baptize them just in the Holy Spirit? Well, if I can just be this simple for you, it's because Jesus' instruction was to baptize them in all three. Now, whatever your doctrinal tangent might be that you're in love with, I just invite you to set it aside and consider the words of Jesus. He wants us to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and then in the Holy Spirit. Now, what is so important about this? Here, here's how it works. See, I see the following when I read this. So we make disciples. That is the salvation act. We baptize them in the water. That's, we, we bring them into the body of Christ, and we indoctrinate them. And then the third thing Jesus wanted us to do was teach them to do all the things that he commanded. And so why does it matter? Well, it matters again because of the three. It matters because it's Jesus' instruction. But let me help bring it into focus for you. The first two are fairly easy for us. Once again, we, we're okay with the baptism of salvation. We understand that, that, that we are immersed or we are dipped in the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, they would take the branch and they would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and they would apply the blood to the articles to make them holy. Okay, that, was the, that was the liturgical practice of, of temple worship. And so we have that same idea in, the, in today in that the blood of Jesus was spilled. We are sprinkled. We are washed with the blood of Jesus. And that's what brings us to salvation. That's what makes us clean and righteous. That's what pays the penalty for our sin. Everybody understands that. And we're baptized in water. Yes, it's a symbol of coming to life, but it's also the symbol, the public proclamation of now I am a Christian. And so it's usually done in front of people. Um, and I've explained in the past where there may be some technical exceptions to this or that, and that's okay. But largely we are baptizing a believer, a disciple of Jesus into the body of Christ by the body of Christ. That's water baptism. And then what about Holy Spirit baptism? The one that Jesus, when John the Baptist said, one is coming who is greater than I, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that baptism is the one that people really get confused about, but all three of these are equally important. One is actually not even greater than the other. But if we're to teach people all that Jesus commanded... How are we supposed to do that? Well, by sending them to church. Okay, that's a part of it. Let me ask you the question. Who, which person of the Godhead is our teacher? It's the Holy Spirit. Which person of the Godhead guides us into all truth? Why, it's the Holy Spirit. Which person of the Godhead brings to our remembrance all that Christ taught? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. 
And so you see, as we establish this understanding of the three baptisms, in the focus of what the cross has done, it all begins to make sense. A triune God wants to baptize us three times because we're made in His image, body, soul, and spirit. Interesting. Why does it matter? Because the three actually matter. When we are carrying out the Great Commission, we are called to do it completely. Right? We, we, does anyone feel like I have license in our church to say, well, guys, I'm here to make disciples, and that's where my job ends? No, that's not how it works. I make disciples, I want to baptize, and then I pray with you to see to it that the Holy Spirit reality can happen in your life. And you're called to do the same, because it's not just the pastoral mantle, it's the mantle on every disciple. So if you're a disciple, you should raise your hand, which everybody should raise their hands, because we're all followers of Jesus. See what I'm saying? Now, I think this last part should be important to us, where Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I memorized it as a kid. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is he saying? Behold, I am with you always. And, and that means, the end of the age means right to the end of everything that matters as far as you're concerned. Because the end of this age will come in two ways for you and I. One, we will die. We will go to heaven. We will be with Jesus, as our friend Brian has done. All right, so the end of this age has, has ended for our friend Brian. And now he's in the presence of the Lord. So that's an exciting, a wonderful thing, even though it leaves a hole here among us. The other way that we can come to the end of the age is if Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, that will also be, as far as we are concerned, the end of the age. Because something miraculous happens when we leave this earth by natural death or we leave this earth because Jesus has returned. It's the end of the way it was, and the next stage of eternity begins. But Jesus promises that he'll be with us always. What does the word behold mean to you? It's not like we use it anymore, right? But it means, hey, look at this. My children don't use the word behold. My sons have never come and said, Father, behold how clean my room is. I wish that they would. It would be, kind of, it would be good. Father, behold, I have cleaned the bathroom area and there are not any socks on the floor. We don't use the word behold very much, but what does it mean? It means take hold of this with your senses. That's a way better definition than I gave the first service. But it's not just about your eyes. It can be about your physical response too. It's about your ears. It's about what happens when you and I stand in the mountains and we wonder at how God did everything that he has done. We are beholding his creation. And it is wonderful and overwhelming. Why isn't it the fact for you and I that when we behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, that we are not struck with the same awe and wonder? Here's my thought. Since you're sitting here, I assume you're asking. I think that we sometimes aren't beholding it because we haven't done all the things he said. I'll, I'll say it one more time. I think sometimes we're not beholding it because we're not doing all the things he said. 
Sure, we help some people find Jesus. We pray for a few and they receive the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders follow them. Sure, we baptize them in water. But I got to tell you, if we're not doing all three, we're not really doing the job. Can I just be really direct with you this morning? And I'm saying this to our church family because it has come up in conversation with my church family. Parents, your job is to make disciples of Jesus out of your children. And if I can be really honest with you, you need to stop making the excuse of waiting for the Holy Spirit to do it for you. Now, that's not condemnation. That's encouragement to press in even more. We make disciples out of everyone around us. Whoever will try, whoever will listen, whoever even shows the littlest bit of interest. Sometimes, even those who say, I have no interest whatsoever, and we just smile and pray for them all the more and keep inviting them to join us for stuff. We make disciples. But to make a disciple that is only two-thirds complete is not making a disciple. To get someone saved and then never see them move forward in the kingdom of God. Well, that's great that they're saved, but what's the point? How will they impact the world if they don't know the Holy Spirit? How will they impact the world if the thing that God delivered them from still gets to chase them down all the time? Now, that one's important for today. For you personally, if you can't behold the fact that Jesus is with you, with you I'm going to ask you this request, three questions. If we're having coffee, I just don't feel Jesus, Pastor. Okay, my first question is going to be, is Jesus your boss? Are you, are, you, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Have you bent your will? Have you confessed your sin to Jesus? Are you a little Christ? And maybe you'll say yes, but I still don't feel that. I still don't know his presence that way. I still can't hear his voice. Like you say, I can hear his voice. My next question for you, my friend, will be, are you baptized in water? Well... I don't really need that. That's not what I said to you. I said, are you baptized in water? Well, my parents sprinkled me when I was a child. Okay, well, is that working for you? Well, no. Okay, then why are you not baptized in water? Well, I don't know about it. Well, then you need to come and listen to what we talk about at the church. You need to get back into Next Steps and hear what we said about it in Next Steps. You need to listen to the podcast, and you need to read the books, and you need to take the information your spiritual, your spiritual overseers are giving you to make your life work in the kingdom of God. And from time to time, it happens this way. Yes, Pastor, I've been saved, I've been water baptized, and I still don't have what I feel like I should have. And my last question is, have you let Jesus baptize you in the Holy Spirit? That sounds scary. God does not withhold good things from his children. And so you should not be scared of anything that Jesus wants to give you. We'll talk about that more next Sunday. Here, right now, is what I want you to take away today. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Apostle Paul writes to them and says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Here it is again. How many baptisms? 
Come on, somebody on this side of the church, show me that you're alive. Three. Three baptisms. Well, technically, I don't see three baptisms, Pastor Trev. Well, let, let me say it this way for you then. Uh, baptized into Moses. That's what we read. Can you put it back up there for me, please? There we go. We're all baptized into Moses. Okay? I don't know how you argue with that. Well, what did Moses do? Let's, let's try to adjust our understanding then, right? What did Moses do? Well, Moses was the one that God used to bring Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, out of their captivity in Egypt. And, and Jesus, by the way, does the same thing because Moses is a forerunner of what Jesus was going to do for all creation. Moses did it for the people of God, the one who God had a covenant with. Jesus does it for every tribe, tongue, and nation under heaven. But Moses is the one who goes in and brings the people out of slavery and into the wilderness. And for those of you who need to understand what that act does, is Moses brought them out of captivity into the wilderness. Into liberty. When Israel was slaves, I don't know for sure that they lived behind barbed wire fences and razor wire and, and concrete blocks. That's not really what the Bible says. But nonetheless, we do know they were captives. And where they lived and worked, they could see the houses of their overlords and they were building temples to false gods because they were slaves. They were building the pyramids, perhaps. They were doing all these things. They were carving the gigantic sandstone lion leopard men creatures. All the things that they did were because they were in captivity. And this is so beautiful. God, through Moses, brings them out of that, subject, that subjectivity and brings them to a place of wildness, of freedom. I don't know about you, but I hate looking at Grand Prairie at night. Now, I love the city, and I love my home because my home literally overlooks the city of Grand Prairie. I can see town from my bedroom window, and every time I look out my bedroom window, I'm very aware of where my mission field is. I love it. And I pray for it, and I throw it before the Lord. Dear Jesus, please help us, kind of a thing. But you know what I don't like is living out in the country and having all the light pollution at night. I don't, don't enjoy it. Um, I love getting to the place where there is no influence of the city lights. See, that's, that's the wilderness. That's the place where there is liberty. That's the place where there is freedom. There are no buildings as far as I can see. There's just God's creation. Guys, this is what God brought Israel out of. He brought them out of slavery and he brings them into this place that is wild, that is free, that is unrestrained, that is full of options. I mean, they could go anywhere. They could do anything. Their animals could wander around and around and around. That's what Moses did. He brought them out of slavery into, into liberty, and they were no longer under the rule of darkness. They were baptized in the Red Sea. Well, how are they baptized in the Red Sea? Well, they passed through the Red Sea. The whole people on dry ground. Moses held up his staff because they came into liberty, but the first thing that happened is in liberty they countered, encountered an obstacle that they didn't know how to deal with. Anybody can relate to this? I feel so good. Jesus set me free from my addiction. And then you encounter a problem and you go, what's next? Turns out that just because Jesus sets you free doesn't mean that you automatically got all the answers. You got salvation, which is amazing, wonderful, powerful, awesome, great, better than it could have ever been before. 
But you encounter an obstacle, you don't know what to do. Well, God knows what to do. And what God did for Israel was say, Moses, stretch out your staff over the Red Sea. He did so, and the sea opened up, and Israel walked through the sea. Well, that's a wonderful part of the story. But even after the Red Sea, what did Israel face? More liberty. More wildness. More freedom. But also... They had to face the lack of knowledge with what to do. And so what does God do? God brings them the law. And once they had gone through the Red Sea, they received the law. And and God told them, here's the instructions for getting along with one another. But you know what was really amazing about what God did for them after the Red Sea? God led them every single day by a pillar of cloud. And every night by a pillar of fire. And you know what else happened that was so great? When they built the tabernacle, when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, or when Moses would go up the mountain to meet with the Lord, this amazing thing would happen. The presence of God, the Bible says, would come down like a thick cloud and blanket everything. So they were baptized into Moses. That was their salvation from Egypt. They were baptized in the Red Sea. And then as they were being led through the wilderness so that they knew what to do, what not to do, and where to go, they were baptized in the Spirit. All Old Testament still. But nonetheless, there's the three baptisms. That's what 1 Corinthians is referring to when it talks about they all passed through the sea. They're all baptized by Moses. They're baptized in spirit. So we have that same spirit today. But here is something amazing. You might be a person who sits here today and struggles with your past. There are things that haunt you. There are things that track you down. There are, there are old enemies that keep on trying to find you. What happened that was so important when Moses and the people of Israel walked through? They passed through the Red Sea. They went through the baptism of the Red Sea. What happened? Well, their troubles tried to chase them in. Remember? They looked behind them, and there were Pharaoh's armies coming. They looked ahead of them, and there is a body of water blocking their way. Church, can you understand that in the same way God places water baptism in front of you to block your way? It's it's actually an obstacle that he wants to prove himself to you in. The people pass through the sea on dry ground. They get out the other side. And Pharaoh's armies are still coming. Pharaoh's armies enter the sea on dry ground. But what did God do? God released the waters and engulfed, consumed, destroyed Pharaoh's army. And like for Israel, who went through that baptism and was permanently set free from their oppressor, you and I go through the waters of baptism. And when we come out, what was pursuing us, what is chasing us, what is trying to hold us in fear, in captivity, not just symbolically, but in spiritual reality, is buried in the water. That's why why the Apostle Paul is writing about it and saying, hey, remember Moses and God's people in the Red Sea. Water baptism is miraculous. Water baptism represents your deliverance from captivity and sin. Well, I thought the blood of Jesus, yeah, yeah, it does. 
But you can't just have one of the three or two of the three. You need to have all three. Because the Lord reveals himself in three persons, and he built you with three parts. And so it should make sense to us because the language he uses explains it to us in such a simple way. I'll never forget our children's baptism, but most recently Mara was baptized at our house. Well, here at church, but from our house. And Mara is wonderful, passionate. She sees the world the way she sees it. But she actually struggled with some fear and some stuff. And the day came when she was going to get baptized. And Amy and I marveled at this. She came up out of the water a different person. Still our daughter, still loved Jesus just as much, still honored her parents, still is an unbelievably good kid that would never, ever need a spanking, ever. Because you just look at her with an eyebrow, Lord, and she repents, even if she didn't do anything. But you know what? Where there was trepidation in her, she came up out of the water and God filled her with boldness. And now, sometimes she won't shut up. She tells us what she thinks. She tells us how she feels. She stands up for herself in a way she didn't before. Guys, there is a miraculous reality to the waters of baptism because it is deliverance from the things that hold you back. For the record, Egypt never returned to the power it had. It wasn't, it wasn't just then and there. It wasn't immediate. But as a world power, this marked the end of Egypt's reign. And God loves Egypt. He loved it then. He loves it to this day. And you know what? Historically, there are eight, maybe, maybe even a dozen times when Egypt has gone to war against Israel. But I, look, I looked it up this morning. And you know presently that Egypt is actually a relative supporter of Israel? Because when God brings us through the waters of baptism, things don't just change for today. They change forever. All right, well, we're going to close the service with this today. Um, you know, there is so much more we can tell you on a Sunday, but we just don't have the time on a Sunday morning. And so I want to remind you that in Next Steps, we talk about baptism. We have a, a, vlog, or a blog that goes out. We send emails out. Um, our, web, our, our website has information, and our app, our church app that is being built up, is going to have information too. The guys, we just can't give it all to you on Sunday morning, so I want to invite you to invest yourself, invest your time in the heart of our church and in what we're teaching as a church family because we really do believe that the message God is speaking through our church is one that's going to create whole, whole Christians that are moving in all the power and all the momentum that God wants for us and not only for you, but for all the generations that follow you. And so today, we're going to pray for you as we dismiss. If you'd like prayer at the end of the service, as always, you're more than welcome to come and receive prayer and ministry. We don't want you to leave today carrying something you didn't need to be carrying. So we look forward to it every Sunday to praying with those who'd like prayer. Uh, but I want to pray for you at the same time because we have, we have said some things today that are foundational to what we're talking about next week. 
And I don't want you to forget about it next week because next week is going to be a powerful service and I expect that God is going to come and do new things in the lives of many people and I'm so excited for it. So let me pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, for every part of our church that's online with us this morning. And God, I pray that as we go through your word and as we get this grand picture of what you've been doing through all the generations of the earth to bring us to a place of understanding of who you are, what your heart for us is, the victories that you're calling us to, Lord, the, the, the brokenness and contrition that you want to use in our life to make us more like Jesus. Lord, we receive it. And I pray for every heart today, God, that is connected to our church, that we would become a people who are hungry and receptive to anything, Jesus, that you want to do. And so, Lord, seal the word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus wants us to know and to remember throughout our week. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.